millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with in-depth stories and conversations about the weather and how they interact with our daily lives. I'm your host, AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore, as we continue our fall series here on Everything Under the Sun. And each week we talk about the weather topics that you've been reading or hearing about, how they relate to your health, your comfort, and the enjoyment of your life. I'm able to use the amazing resources of weather knowledge that we have within our own company with our meteorologists and our experts here at AccuWeather. And I reach out to experts and other people around the world to get the information that you need to help you get through each day. After Hurricane Delta slammed into the Gulf Coast last week, the weather pattern has shifted a bit, starting to bring some colder, rainy pushes into parts of the Great Lakes in the Northeast. Certainly the Northeast has been dealing with drought, so some of the rain is welcome. But as we head into the weekend, there is a chance that parts of the interior New England area get to see some snow from another coastal storm. Meanwhile, this past week, new rounds of heat and wind out west brought fire danger back into focus. We'll see if that lasts into the upcoming week as we talk to AccuWeather meteorologist Bill Dagger in our normal final segment where we forecast the weather for the coming weekend and the week beyond. October is a month of change and changeable weather. While in some areas the gardens are still producing that last little gasp of harvest of flowers and tasty vegetables, other areas are getting close enough to see the cold enough to freeze the ground. Certainly with COVID-19, we stayed closer to home, and many of us, including myself, stayed in our gardens a lot more this spring and summer. So with all that hard work behind us, what do we do over the fall as we get ready for our garden to go to sleep? AccuWeather's Brian May joins me as we talk about the steps you need to take to get your garden ready to rest. Also, as we start to hear the word snow being mentioned in our forecast fall, also a good time to start getting your car winterized. We'll take a look at the fall auto preparedness steps you need to take to get your car winterized. We'll start with the exterior. Coming up, Rob Harper from ZBart will join us in our second segment. Let's get to it, friends. It's time to talk about everything under the sun. Brian May has been a team member of AccuWeather as long as I have. We've been friends and co-workers now for over 22 years. We even were roommates back at one time, so I was able to see Brian's gardening skills firsthand early. Now, not only does Brian manage our radio and broadcast operation, but he also has begun doing work as a professional landscape and garden consultant here in the State College area over the last several years. So as the days are getting shorter and even with the colors starting to fade, there's still so much to do in the garden. And it's good to welcome in my friend Brian May into everything under the sun. Brian, we've been uh, talking here that we've known each other a long time. I think you and I have known each other almost 25 years, and we are actually roommates way back in the day. And so I've been gardening with Brian for a long time. And, yeah. uh, you know, for me, Brian, it's kind of a melancholy time, right? It's uh, I'm still enjoying here in Zone 7, here where we are in Pennsylvania, and actually 6, right? We're in 6B. Five through 6, yeah. Yeah, right. 
So it's like painting my numbers sometimes. But I'm still getting some dahlias here mid-October. We really haven't had a killing frost where we are. We've had a little few light ones. Right. Um, but, you know, it's kind of that melancholy time. I'm seeing some great stuff blooming, but I'm also seeing some stuff starting to fade and die off. And it's kind of fun, but it's also work. There's a lot of work to be done in fall in cleaning things up. Yeah. Kind of like, um, you know, when you when you're looking around, uh, you know, you do spring cleaning in the house. Fall's also a good time to to do some cleaning. And especially you want to get rid of the deceased and the and the disease stuff, the stuff that wasn't making the grade during the growing season. You don't want it to stick around during the off season. Right. So that's an important thing to do to start cleaning things up around the garden that could cause you problems as you go through the winter. Absolutely. You know, fall to me is a busy time in the garden, but it's also a fun time because I like to uh, start planning for next year. I like to look back at all the photos I've taken through the season and kind of plan ahead for what I want to move. Right. Um, plants aren't doing well in a certain area. Move it around and start planning for next spring. Start you know, your bulbs, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, but you're right. You really want to hit the cleanup hard because you want to cut down all those dead stalks that had bloomed back in July. You want to get rid of those. If you don't, you know, they'll just just linger there and kind of cause disease in, in your garden and mold. And so you just want to clean everything up, like you said, like a spring cleaning almost. Yeah. And, and you're right. It is rewarding. It is. But it's also, um, you know, it's a little sad, but you're right in the process of you know, this is a good time to divide stuff. Like I just had a, a daylily that had gotten big for the area that I wanted it in. And it was just a good time. It starts loosening up a little bit on its own. And I think people are scared of dividing their perennials and stuff. It's not that hard. If you just watch a video or two, it's pretty easy. And you can take something that wasn't looking so good this last summer, kind of pare it down in size and make two new ones that look Absolutely. better when you get to the to next spring. It's good for your garden to to separate and divide perennials because over time perennials um, they expand and and a lot of them, you know, multiply. So you have an instant shopping greenhouse in your own garden. The best th way to handle it is dig the root or the rhizome all the way out, take a sh very sharp tool, knife even, and, and separate them that way, just so that you have the full root or. Right. So you're not, you're not, you're not thinking that you're dividing and you're really not, you're just actually kind of lopping half of it off. If you're really truly yeah. dividing, yeah, dig up the whole thing and then take that knife uh, down. The other thing that I think, you know, this time of year, mulch or no mulch. I mean, mulch to most people is a spring activity. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and, and I've been reading more and more that there's a controversy on are we mulching too much in our gardens and that, you know, so I think some of it, too, is it doesn't always have to be that hard uh, wooden mulch. I mean, mulch can be so many different things. And especially right now, sure. we've got uh, a lot of leaves coming down. Leaves, yeah, can make a good mulch, too, going into the fall and the winter. Good rule of thumb with mulching this time of year. I usually only do, since I've already mulched in the late spring and early summer, I kind of just want to fill in 
the places with fresh mulch that let's say I, I dug something out and I accidentally removed some mulch. So I kind of just want to fill that in because you do want to provide your flower beds or your your garden with a a coating to cover your perennials and plants through the winter. Uh, because if we don't get a have a snow blanket through the winter, they do need some protection. So, you know, whatever kind of mulch you're using, now now's a good time to give it that just extra protective layer. But I'm also, I lean toward, I do feel that we put too much of a thick layer of mulch on. Right. The the heavy, the heavy wood kind, the the, the yeah. bark mulch that we see. Yeah. So like I have an area where it's primarily, I think it's three three hydrangeas and I just stuck a, a Klondike azalea in. So they're kind of similar in situation okay. to me. I may even kind of do like a burlap wrap around those sure. and, and kind of fill them with, uh, with some leaves in there after cutting them down to like six, seven inches, all of those. Although I don't have to do that on the, on the azalea, but do I need a little peat moss? I need something in there, maybe a little food for it over the winter and, and peat moss or something like that is kind of a good food. And then a little bit of that light coating of mulch on top. Does that seem like a good recipe there? Absolutely. You know, cause you do want to protect your plants. Um, now most of them are, are hardy for the zone. Like you mentioned azaleas. However, you know, sometimes we get those really harsh, harsh winds and those below zero temps. So, so it's not a bad idea to give it some extra protection. And you, you mentioned leaves. Um, I just want to briefly mention the best use for leaves as a mulch is shredded leaves. Um, you don't want to use the the heavy, big, thick leaves. Okay. Uh, because they will limit water from getting to the roots of your. It's almost like a smothering blanket if you're too careful. Yeah. If, if you right, if you don't yep. shred them up, yep. But actually, shredded leaves are a, a wonderful um, way to mulch. And the kids can have fun shredding it by just you know <laughs> just jumping through those um, when you can. Sure. Um, you know the the other thing this time of year, I think. How much water do we give and when do we stop watering? Yeah. My grandmother was always, a, and I remember this, Dean, the plants need a lot of water before we get that first freeze. And and it, and it's right because you want, you know, we, we're not in a place here in the in the North America, in, in, the, in the United States, where you get a lot of permafrost areas, but we want to give at least as much protection with that blanket of frost as we can so that you know, we need some water content in the, in the soil. So uh, are you a firm believer in that too, especially shrubs and stuff? I think this is a really good time yeah. to start doing some deep watering before we get into those first uh, real big frosts and freezes. One thing to keep in mind, and I think people forget is that just because it's the end of the season or, or turning cold, we're heading into winter, the plant's not going to stop growing. The cold just simply slows down the growing process so I, I do feel that, you know, if we're not getting a sufficient amount of rain, even in the winter months, if it's not too cold, go out and water, give them, give them that average of one inch per week. So yeah, I'm an advocate for that. One of the fun things for me, at least in the fall, is bulb planting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, especially because of the payoff that we get in the early spring oh, when those uh, beautiful spring flowers are starting to come up. So Again, we're right in the prime time of that for most places in North America right now. Uh, we're still, at least uh, for most of us, still 
you want to be what a couple of weeks ahead before the first hard freeze. I think about two or three weeks, you want to get that bulb settled a little bit in the, in the non-frozen soil before then it gets, and it's important. People don't, I think there's a, well, why would I put a bulb in before the ground's going to freeze? Well, for these bulbs and these spring flowers, it's, it's important to go through that freeze cycle. They have to go through that, that cycle uh, to bloom in the spring. Um, yeah, up until the ground freezes. I mean, I've, I've even here in, in central PA, I've even put bulbs in, in mid late December, but yeah, it's a fantastic time to do that. One thing I always try to tell people is I plant the bulbs a little bit deeper than what the instructions tell you, just because I don't want to see a squirrel running off with my hyacinth bulb. Can can I, can I tell you that I think (laughs) 40% 40% to 50% of my bulbs have been yeah. dug up by either a vole or a chipmunk yeah. or maybe even a skunk. There's uh, all kinds you. of things. I think I, yeah. I could go A, B, C, D, all of the above this last yeah. uh, few months, right? Yeah. So one thing I try to do, try to remember that little critters won't eat daffodil bulbs. So if you want an area um, where you know you have critters, put the daffodil bulbs in that area. Or if you have something like a tulip or a hyacinth or crocus, they love those. So maybe you could plant them closer to the house, maybe where, you know, they're a little more scared to be around yeah. because uh, more traffic, they don't want, they want to deal with that. Exactly. And you can also use, there are products out there, safe products you can use uh, like bone meal and, and there's some other deterrents that you can sprinkle on the bulbs and around the bulbs in the ground so that it does help prevent them from being dug up. Also bulbs need a good feeding too, before they go into their their sleep. And there's a lot of great, I know uh, I get most of my bulbs from uh, Brex and Mm -hmm. they have a a great food that uh, you put in as you're planting. You know, I, I like dahlias. I like begonias. Those are things here where I live can't stay in the ground. Um, I've had moderate success over the years trying to keep, those uh, tubers and things uh, over the winter. Can you give me any hints on that? I mean, I think the key is to kind of dry them out first, you know, give them a few weeks out of the ground to, to dry up a little bit. And then it's kind of a, you got, it's close. You got to, you can't let them get too dry or then they're going to go the other way, but then finding a cool, dry place with vermiculite. Is that, is that probably a good thing to put them in to try yeah. to keep them dry throughout sure. the rest of the winter? Um, so I have a lot of canna bulbs and a lot of mm. canna lilies that I have yeah. in the ground now. They've kind of died. The tops have kind of died off. So it's time to dig them up. So I always just, I let them dry out. As you mentioned, a couple on of days. Like newspaper in your garage or something like sure, that? I just yeah. put them on some old, old boards or okay. stones or whatever. Yeah. Just let the sun dry them out a little bit. And then I simply store them in uh, plastic storage bins through the winter in the basement. It has to be cool and dry. You don't want them to get too much moisture. Because right, because they'll mold up, right? And then be pretty bad. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to try. Do you, do you put anything on the bottom of that? Do you put some vermiculite or something a little, a little drying, like a, some kind of dirt or something? Actually, I just use newspaper. But. There you go. Okay. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'll, I'll try. I just, cause I had a couple, oh my goodness, dinner plate. Yeah. Values that were as big as my sure. head. They were huge this year. They were yeah. gorgeous. I would like to try and maybe keep one of those. Dean, they probably multiplied in the ground. So they now did. you'll probably have three or four. Right. So, so yeah, you, you know, again, just like Brian said, try to make sure that if you're digging things up here in the fall, 
that you're trying to get that whole area around just where the center, not just that tight circumference, try to go out a little bit farther. I think we covered most of the things, right? Clean out your weeds, make sure that, you know, you do some protection in anything new that you're digging. You get the chance to plant your bulbs. You kind of give the deep drink that the garden needs here right before it starts to get a little cold and, as we said, that. there's some some things you can. Uh, we all going to need a deep drink before uh, winter. <laughs> yeah. um, winter jacket on some of the tree shrubs and rose bushes if you want. Sure. Dig up your tender plants, add some extra mulch, and do all the hard work. So it's actually makes you know the work right now in the fall in the garden, uh, Brian. I think you and I would agree makes the spring so much easier because you're not wasting all that time doing the things you should have done in the fall, and you're getting to plant much earlier and get to to play in the things that are fun rather than doing all the hard work at least now when you're doing some of this hard work you still got some things to look at including my gorgeous hardy mums which are just amazing right now yeah now's the best time for me i love it just planning for the spring gives you something to look forward to it really does brian thanks for being with us today you're welcome thanks for having me happy gardening Well, now that you have your list of garden chores for the next couple of weeks, make sure you check out the AccuWeather forecast on our newly redesigned app, our website, AccuWeather.com, and our AccuWeather.network, and also our many great media partners. So you know then the best days here to get out and do what you need to do to get your garden ready for winter. Next up, we'll talk about your car and what it might need, especially on the outside, to protect it against winter's onslaught of snow, ice, and salt that are on the way. That's what's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun. Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno, and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore, your host. You know, we encourage folks to ask questions or make some comments or actually give us some story ideas at our podcast email, accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Again, our email is accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Over the last couple of weeks, we had a suggestion to talk about getting your car ready for its winter onslaught of snow, sleet, and salt. We decided to break it up into two segments. We're going to first talk about the exterior of your car. That seems to get the most abuse during uh, the winter season. So we decided to call on Rob Harper. He is the director of U.S. Retail Operations for ZBARD, an automotive appearance and protection franchise company that extends vehicles' lives located all over the globe. We welcome Rob Harper to Everything Under the Sun. So, Rob, here we are. It has been a hot summer, seventh warmest recorded, and uh, certainly taking a lot of toll on all of us. And our vehicles too. And, you know, maybe the fact that I think this has been such an amazing six months or so that all of us are dealing with um, a situation that we, we certainly didn't foresee six months ago in terms of less driving for a lot of us. I I'm probably driving 20% of what I was driving before in terms of back and forth to work, being able to work from home and stuff. So here we are coming out of summer through fall. This is a really good time to take some stock of your car and especially if you want to continue to keep it looking new and nice some things that we need to do for the outside here as we get into the fall 
So let's talk about how summer heat can really impact your car. Things that, you know, we don't normally see. Uh, I would imagine warping and, and some other things, but also on the outside, probably degrading that finish that looks so nice and new on the on the dealer's lot when you first pick it up. Specifically to heat, the, the heat is more of a comfort thing. The interiors and the exteriors of cars are really designed to withstand you know, most temperatures that are going to come from summer heat, even though, you know, we hear about how hot it gets inside a locked car, you know, that heat is, you know, in the high 100s, but not enough to damage per se the vehicle. What really gets damaged in the summer from the sun um, is damaged through UV rays as opposed to the heat. UV rays, like they do with your skin, will, you know, harm vinyl. They will, they will harm leather, fade cloth things like that. So there's not heat aspect to damaging your car per se, but there is certainly a sun aspect in the summer. Right. And and we can sense that with the heat, but you can also have a lot of UV damage or UV rays coming through when there's not a, a lot of sun, which we tell folks, be careful. Sure. So even if you're in a cloudier area, your your car's still susceptible to this in terms of getting uh, the uh, UV situation under control. Then, you know, with fall itself, Rob, I think there's, uh, you know, a lot of uh, pitfalls and things that are potential damage with falling leaves and acorns and walnuts and all the things here. I know where I live in the Northeast or impediment thrown around here this time of year. That can also impact your car's finish and all those kinds of things. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people misunderstand how much damage leaves in particular can do to the pain of a car. As leaves decay, they leach out the the acids that that are in most organic things. Um, and if left on the painted surfaces of your car, those acids can certainly damage the paint. Um, actually, a lot quicker than a lot of the other things that people are afraid of, like you know bird droppings and bug guts. Leaves uh, definitely, and especially depending on the type of tree that the leaves are falling from, produce a lot of acid as they decay. And and that acid comes out as they get wet and You've probably seen a car that has sat with leaves on it for a while and you get the almost the outline of the leaf embedded into the car's paint. With COVID situation and and fighting that and people actually leaving more vehicles sit for longer periods of time without use, I think that 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 even comes into more. But yeah, I've I've had a friend who picked up their car after about two, three months in a place with a lot of leaves and it, it just you could you could see it almost look like fossils in the the finish with the leaves. So we're looking at leaf damage coming into fall season. We're also looking at plants are throwing out that last lot of pollen here this time of year. And then, you know, acid rain too. I mean, all of these things damaging to the paint finishes. Um, you know, one of the things that I think all of us are trained to start looking for is rust. And after coming off a hot and humid summer and we kind of transition into the colder times, this is a really good time now as we get into the winter and when the cold and the wet and the, the slop can just kind of stick on your car to really take the time to kind of clean up that rust damage that you might have not seen as much over the summer and take care of it before we get into winter? Does that seem like a, a good plan of action? It really is. I mean, I, generally, I'm I'm about preventing that rust. But if you do find rust, you sure want to get it taken care of as quickly as you can, whether that's, you know, simply, you know, seeing a little ding uh, on the wheel well or on the hood that has a little surface rust starting that you can take care of yourself in your driveway. Or if, you know, you find something that was, you know, normally out of your range of view um, that's bigger and you need to take it to a body shop, that's certainly important. Rust is uh, very per- pervasive once it starts. 
it's very difficult to stop because even an untreated, unrust-proofed car has some level of protection just from the factory, both in the paint and then in the galvanization of the steel. Once that galvanization has been damaged and rust begins, it just eats through the inside because the galvanizing is only a layer on top of that steel plate. So it's important to get that taken care of very quickly. We're talking with uh, Rob Harper, Director of U.S. Retail Operations at Zbard, and, and Zbard certainly would have something. So when you take a look at a car, are you are you always in the preventative mode or are there things that you can do to fix problems and then get some prevention here as we head into the winter? Is it, is it kind of a two-step situation there? Our main goal and the main reason we came into business was, gosh, over 60 years ago now, was to prevent rust. We were the originators of rust-proofing for cars. But certainly, we've, as we've grown and changed, uh, we've gone into protecting other aspects of the car and helping our customers to get back that new car look, whether it's through scratch repair or paint restoration, things like that. We certainly have the ability to undo some of the damage. Now, we're not a body shop. We're not going to hit your car with a bowling ball. That's not something we can handle. But, you know, the car wash scratches or the the abrasions in the in the clear coat of the paint, that's something we certainly do hundreds of times a day across the U.S. and around the world. Yeah, kind of the uh, parking lot at the uh, supermarket uh, situation where somebody's not <laughs> yeah. friendly to you and decides to push their shopping cart a little too hard to try to aim it to where the corral is and they miss and then it gets into your car. I've uh, seen that happen on a on a few occasions. Sure. I mean, is is Rob, is there a timing when I see a problem like that? If I see a dent that has a little scratch where the paints come off, you know, do I have a timeline to say, hey, I have about a, a few weeks or so to get to that to fix it? Or am I running to the races of spreading that rust right away? Should I try to take care of it within days of seeing something like that? I'll put it to you this way. As soon as steel, from the time it's manufactured, as soon as it is exposed to oxygen, the corrosion process starts. That's what's happening. That's what rusting is. It's iron turning to iron oxide, which is rust. Now, things catalyze that action, water especially, salt water even worse. But as soon as you've broken through the paint or protective, whatever other protective surface there is, you need to, to handle that or it's going to begin to rust. What are some of the other things you said you've, uh, Z-Bart's kind of gone just not only from protecting the rust and the outside, but has expanded some of its things. What are some of the other things that you're and your fellow friends at uh, Z-Bart's all over the country can do for us? As far as, you know, repairing that kind of stuff, we also have a product called Rust Eliminator. Gets into and soaks through existing rust and chemically changes it, takes it to an inert state, and then we can seal over top of that. And mostly when we use Rust Eliminator, we're talking about frames, the cold rolled steel stuff, um, not the not the galvanized metal so much, but the frames of trucks and SUVs. And you look under any parking lot. And I bet you, you'll see that 50 or 60% of those types of frames have a coating of surface rust on them. And though frames are very thick, they'll, uh, the rust will eventually eat through all the way through causing structural damage. So what we can do is, is apply our rust eliminator to that product, let it cure, and then seal it up and essentially let you walk away with, with the knowledge that your uh, frame isn't going to corrode any further. But then we also do things in in a preventative way 
both on the paint, sometimes on glass. We have one of my favorite products, actually, is uh, our paint protection film. It's called Z-Shield. You've seen them before, I'm sure. At least you definitely remember the uh, black bras that you know guys with sports cars used to put oh, on the front of right, their exactly, vehicles yeah. of vinyl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this is kind of designed to do the same thing, but it's a film that is flexible enough to, you know, mold around body lines and mold around all the bends in the car, but also tough enough to repel rocks and rock salt and other road debris to keep the paint doing what the paint is supposed to do, which is keep your steel from rusting. And then I think the other thing that you would agree with me on is as you go through, um, we're starting again in that season where we're certainly anticipating that, you know, they folks put down stuff on the roadways to keep them um, drivable, especially sure. in the colder weather. So, you know, we think a lot about washing our car in the summer and keeping it clean. I think uh, even more so in the winter, got to get that all of that road additive and all that stuff, um, beet juice or whatever you call it in your local <laughs> part of the woods. You got to get that stuff off, right, to keep it clean, to to let the protection work rather than to keep uh, letting those uh, bad elements try to, to wear away at your finish. Especially if you haven't had a, your car professionally undercoated or rust proof, depending on where you live in the country, there are all kinds of different ways that they use to get salt off the roads. Some use a chloride saline solution. Some use just straight rock salt. Some mix rock salt with sand and gravel. I've heard of some states using beet juice. Bottom line is all of those things will be damaging to steel if you don't get it off. So if you haven't had your car undercoated or rustproof, you certainly want to very regularly keep that car clean. And and most drive-through car washes offer an underbody wash. um, And I'd highly recommend that um, because all of those salt melters are catastrophic to steel. Yeah, I've seen that uh, too up close and personal over my lifetime here. Rob Harper (laughs) from Z-Bar, thank you so much. Uh, How do we get uh, in contact with Z-Bar to find out where the closest uh, situation is for us to use. The easiest way is to go to zbart.com and go to our dealer locator page. We have about 100 uh, locations around the U.S. We have 400 licensed locations around the world and about 1,200 processing centers. So especially if you're in the Midwest to the East Coast, probably find one very close. We've also got locations in Texas and Tennessee and well, Missouri and Maine and Washington State. So we're we're around. Yeah, just jump on the website. Again, it's zbart.com, Z-I-E-B-A-R-T.com. Again, if you'd like more information about their company, it's Zbart, Z-I-E-B-A-R-T.com. You can use that to find a location and answer some of your questions. Thanks again to Rob for joining us here on Everything Under the Sun. And again, we'll come back in a couple of weeks and we'll talk more about what to do about some of the inside things in your car, tires, oil, antifreeze, all those kinds of things. Some of the things that you can do to get your car winterized here as we head on through this month of October. When we come back, yeah, um, snow is in the forecast in parts of interior New England as we get into the weekend. Already seeing some snow flying in parts of the Rockies and out west here in this fall period. What's the weekend and the week beyond look like? The weather forecast with Bill Dager and myself coming up after this on Everything Under the Sun. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. 
Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun here in fall. I'm joined by AccuWeather meteorologist Bill Dager as we take a look at the weather, as we always do in the final segment of Everything Under the Sun for this upcoming weekend and the week ahead. And here we are, middle of October, changes all over the place. I mean, a big summer warm-up for some folks along the eastern seaboard, and then it gets slammed back into some chilly stuff here as we go through the weekend, first in the Great Lakes, and then it's moving eastward. You know, fire danger's been high again out west. Bill Dager, uh, one of our AccuWeather meteorologists who we've talked to uh, before, you know, he does a lot of things in the mornings. One of those that keeps us kind of in touch with what's going on on the Twitter sphere. And the other thing that you do is really follow the drought monitor situation, which I think has been such a huge story. I mean, we talk about drought a lot, but we've had it in some places we don't normally see it, Bill, and that's been in the Northeast. What a summer of drought. And we still got some impressive drought figures on the drought monitor map here as we go into this upcoming weekend. Absolutely. Yeah, we've had that long-term drought out West for several years now in some areas, but the Northeast has really been dealing with it this summer and into the fall. A pretty extreme drought in Southern and Eastern New England. That may be relieved a little bit with some rain here over the next couple of weeks, but the drought in uh, Central New York has central Pennsylvania continues to hang on as well. And, uh, you know, we could certainly use some rain here where we're talking from around State College. And and uh, we'll be looking at some opportunities uh, over the next couple of days to put a little bit of a dent in that situation. Yeah, the uh, New England had a, a pretty soaking rainstorm there on Tuesday. In fact, I had folks tell me that was one of the worst days they've had in a long time in New England. Uh, and, and it seems like since spring. So I think without that, we'd be talking about some fire danger here going into this change over the weekend with these warmer temperatures on Thursday. But as this comes out on Friday, looks like a front will be coming through, touching off some showers. You know, when we looked at this whole situation earlier in the week, it looked like the cold air was going to dive a little farther deeper in the Northeast. It looks a little bit more of a shallow dive. And it looks like as we set up, Bill, over the next week or two, I think that's what we see. The northern tier of the country is going to have these dives of uh, colder air, but the warm air is going to fight back for the southern half to two thirds of the country. So there will be some battlegrounds. It just it doesn't look like we get very amplitudinal with the uh, the jet stream here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, you're right. Uh, this uh, cold blast, or can't even really call it a cool bla- cold blast, I don't think, for the Great Lakes or Northeast anymore, will be fairly short-lived behind this frontal boundary. We'll certainly feel cooler to start the weekend on Saturday, but as early as Sunday, it's already starting to warm back up ahead of another... Um cool down ahead for the early part of next week and then it warms up again after that so yeah it's it's certainly a, a pattern where you're, where you're a little bit up and down across the northern tier and it stays fairly warm in the south and i think you know when we were going into this week at the beginning of the week our eyes got a little glazed over when we saw how uh, the storm that we're going to watch come up along the eastern seaboard this weekend. I mean, it really had spun up. It looked like maybe the possibility of some impressive snow in parts of interior New England. Now, over the last 24, uh, 36 hours, the idea of that has backed off a little bit. Uh, there's still going to be a chilly, soaking rain late Friday, Friday night. And then for New England, that goes into Saturday, Saturday morning. But it's really think that snow in New England is going to be limited, I think, over the weekend 
Friday night, Saturday morning into the, some real high elevations, right? In in parts of the northern New England. That's right. You probably have to go above 3,000 or 3,500 feet to see any accumulating snow of several inches across Vermont, New Hampshire, into western Maine. And you're, and you're right. Over the last 24 hours, it's been kind of trending more in that direction as opposed to the Catskills and Adirondacks, where if you would have asked me a couple of days ago, I would have, would have said probably a couple of inches of snow, maybe little, if any, accumulation there now. Right. But we're still looking at Mount Washington into Western Maine, perhaps a few places getting four to eight inches of snow. And that's pretty typical in these October storms. We start to see that in northern New England. And uh, one place that will see some snow uh, as we head into the weekend is the Pacific Northwest, especially as we get into uh, Idaho and parts of the uh, Rockies there across the Intermountain West and into the plains. So a little dive of a low pressure bringing some chilly rain and wind and those uh, heavy mountain snows and the snow in some of the passes. Uh, that far north here as we go into Friday, Friday night. Yeah, certainly some travel issues there in southwest Canada into the northern Rockies and maybe even seeing this snow fan out across parts of the northern plains into the arrowhead of Minnesota, the UP of Michigan. Not out of the question, seeing a little bit of snow there later in the weekend. This is the pattern we're in right now, these quick moving pretty uh, moist storm systems, if you will, moving from Western Canada, diving across the northern U.S., and they eventually make their way to the northeast, and it's wash, rinse, repeat a couple of days later, yet another one coming along in that path. Yeah, I think uh, they almost look like little clippers. They're little embedded uh, kind of short waves in the, it's a more zonal jet stream. In other words, you don't see the big peaks and valleys or the troughs and the ridges. It's just little undulations, and that means uh, going into this weekend, A lot of folks are going to have a really nice weekend, especially southeast, really warm, uh, drying out. They certainly need it after uh, what's been in an onslaught of the tropical activity. Some showers in Florida. Houston has some showers up into the Arklatex, but then also very warm and dry out west. And that doesn't bode well here as we continue to see the fire dangers uh, up Uh, is, the you know, it's one thing to be dry and warm. The other ingredient we need is wind. And do we get some wind or is this pattern less wind favorable? It's not as windy as it could be like it was a couple of weeks or a month or two ago. But uh, it's probably just enough wind in those favored areas in SoCal, especially the mountains in Ventura County, L.A., north of L.A. and into the Santa Clarita Valley. Just enough wind. It's certainly dry and warm enough to cause uh, a pretty heightened risk of fires especially during the day on Friday, perhaps even into Saturday a little bit, for it, uh, you know, kind of eases back. The temperatures drop a little bit as we head into early next week, and they certainly could uh, use a cool down. Uh, Phoenix yesterday set a record for the number of days with temperatures of 100 or more in a year. So wow. that that is quite impressive. Yeah, that cooler Pacific air does start to kind of push south as we go through early next week and even gets that jet stream shifts as far south as like Sacramento, Fresno, Las Vegas, which is pretty far south. So that's good news for them. Uh, You know, I, I don't think there's anything to me that stands out that is really that noteworthy for next week. Late next week, there's some signs that something could brew up in the Caribbean and maybe take a, a look at uh, maybe going into uh, the, the Caribbean and towards Cuba, Jamaica, those areas. But I mean, that's uh, still about a week away to, to even think about that. Yeah, model guidance initially showed this potentially developing early 
next week. Now it's kind of pushed it back toward the end of uh, next week. So the end of, of the week could possibly some development there as it slowly drifts uh, west, northwestward. There's also an area of low pressure about halfway between Bermuda and the Lesser Antilles, which will kind of drift toward the northwest as well. Potential there for maybe a subtropical storm developing and staying probably off the east coast next week. Something will stunt. Uh, I don't know if it will ever really impact the U.S. Yeah, that's a, you know, these are the things when you see in the models this long, uh, this far out, you, you just got to keep an eye on those because it's sometimes these things have shifted a little closer and spun up a little closer to the coast. So we'll keep an eye on that. Bill, thanks so much for joining us here on Everything Under the Sun. Yep, you're welcome. Thank you. Well, changeable weather for sure in this month of October. Now more than ever, you need AccuWeather and you need our new app. I just read a Golf.com article that uh, really touted its praises about our newly redesigned app, but it's getting rave reviews. Check it out. You can plan in the near term with our minute cast. It's going to be expanded from two hours to four hours. Uh, You can see when it's going to rain and what's going to not in the next two hours and four hours. And you can plan ahead for all those things that you need to do outside. Uh, One other note here, coming up this weekend, our friend Tyler Roy's meteorologist AccuWeather is going to be working with our friends at the Royal Meteorological Society for Weather Live this Saturday. And as part of that big presentation, they will be announcing the Weather Photographer of the Year winner when we convene next week on the fifth episode of Everything Under the Sun in this fall series. We'll check in with Liz Bentley and all of the folks at Armets, and hopefully even the winner of that Weather Photographer of the Year. They'll announce the winner of the judges and then the fan favorite as well on Saturday. We'll have that in our next week's episode, and we'll also be talking more down the pike about more things that you can do to get the inside of your car ready and other subjects. Again, if you have a topic that you would like to hear about. If you have a question or something you want explained, maybe a question and answer situation, we can do that. Email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. For our hundreds of team members across the globe working very hard every day to keep you informed and ahead of the weather, and for all of the great folks behind the scenes here in our podcast, especially our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb. I'm your host, meteorologist Dean DeVore. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next week for Episode 5 of our fall series of Everything Under the Sun. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.